0: Hi there, this is City Book and Company, a chatty little podcast that dishes and dotes on the upstarts, icons, dreamers, and doers of Houston, the most fascinating city in America. I'm Jeff Grumian, the editor of Houston City Book Magazine and HoustonCityBook.com, and I'm your host. Welcome to part two of our fascinating conversation with country music legend and Gilly's nightclub impresario, Mickey Gilly, who told us last week all about some of his early days in the music business and some of his greatest hits, fascinating stuff. We'll get into a lot more uh, with him coming up very shortly, including the history of Urban Cowboy, the film, and the country music craze that it spawned. Uh, Let me tell you before we get to that. That we are taping, I'm happy to tell you, from the residences at La Column d'Or, which is a fabulous new high-rise apartment building in Montrose. It's sort of old meets new. It's this great tower built by the Heinz Company in partnership with the Zimmerman family, which has long owned the little boutique hotel La Column d'Or in Montrose. It's a great location. We're one of the first people to set up and, and do something like this here, and we're honored to be here. I also want to reintroduce my Guest co-host today, Brant Croucher, musician in his own right. We learned uh, in our the first part of our interview that uh, Mickey Gilley is a country musician who built houses. So it's kind of apropos that we're interviewing him today with another country musician, country adjacent, who builds houses. Hi, Brant. Hello again. So welcome. Thanks for doing this. What do you think about the first part of our interview last week with Mickey? I mean, I thought there were some great stories. Oh
1: man, I love hearing a lot of these stories, especially the stories before everyone you know knew about this, before the success, before you know, before the movie. All of this, I think, is where you really start to get a picture of you know what was going on that led to this, and you know, you get this sense that he's a guy that just kind of was always moving, and he was always doing something, and he was always following. This next thing, and then this thing led to this thing. And I think that's really an interesting take that I hadn't really seen or heard, I guess, from his story. But I think it's also kind of a life thing, right? Like, we're just following these things, and, and you never know where they're going to lead. Which was, I think, the really interesting story behind his first
0: hit. Right, which was Roomful of Roses in 1974. And it's one of those stories, it's kind of common in music, but it's always interesting when you hear it. His first big hit, and he would go on to have 17 number one hits. The first was this room full of roses, which was a throwaway, like we got to have something on the flip side. And it was never intended to be the big hit that it became.
1: Yeah. And you're right. I think there are so many of these stories and we could probably, you know, rife through many of them, but it's always funny. The reason why these stories end up resonating with people. And I thought it was really interesting that he talked about how in retrospect that he could see maybe what he didn't at the time, but he could see why it resonated so well with people. And he used the phrase, an honest recording. He felt that it came across very authentic. And, uh, I thought that was really neat to hear.
0: And it was recorded. In the Heights, in Houston. In the Heights, yeah. So this little flip side song that started his career, which made him an even more important bar owner, which led to an article in a magazine, which led to a movie, which led to an international explosion of interest in a genre of music. All of that started with a little flip side in the Heights.
1: With a throwaway song.
0: (laughs) I mean... Well, we're going to get back to our interview with Mickey Gilley, one of the most prolific chart toppers in country music for the 70s and the 80s. Uh, he was even given country music highest honor, the Academy of Country Music's Entertainer of the Year in 1976. I mean, very big deal. And of course, as we've noted, he was the proprietor of Gillies, which was the backdrop for the famous Urban Cowboy movie. We're going to talk about all of that with Mr. Gillies very shortly, but first we're going to take a quick break to hear from a valued sponsor. With interest rates being as low as they are, like so many other Americans, I recently refinanced my home. I shopped around a lot of the big national mortgage companies and the big banks, and I thought I'd do myself the favor of checking out a local Houston-based company too. I was delighted when Envoy Mortgage not only found the best deal for me, but made it all so easy. Nice Houston folks held my hand through the entire process, most of which I was able to do from my house. It was convenient because you can automatically connect your bank statements, your tax records, and your income documentation right from your phone or your tablet or your laptop. You don't have to worry all the time about how it's going as the process goes along because you get updated on each step of the process and receive video guides and helpful articles along the way. And it's pretty darn fast. Envoy's loan origination and underwriting is all done under one roof, which means your loan moves quickly. Envoy can help you whether you're buying a new home or refinancing. They even have special programs for first-time home buyers and veterans. Envoy Mortgage wants you to love your mortgage experience. Check them out at EnvoyMortgage.com and tell them Jeff from City Book sent you. And now back to our show. So you had a hunch that it was going to be a big deal. And boy, was it. it. It was a big movie. It also changed the trajectory of country music. It made Country music was sort of waning as a genre, and it blew up all over the world. And you and that movie and, and your club were you know, on the leading edge of all of that. What was that experience like for you?
2: It was uh, one of the most exciting times of my life. And I was too close to the forest, actually, to enjoy the trees that I'm looking at because it was so big that I didn't realize at the time. You know, uh, when uh, things happen to change in the music industry, it's sort of something that uh, you kind of grab onto. And when Ray Charles came in on the scene and started doing I Can't Stop Loving You and uh, and all these country songs that he was doing, uh, You Don't Know Me and all these tunes that he was singing, uh, it changed the music scene back in the, in the late 60s. And then we got a resurgence when uh, John Travolta did the film The Urban Cowboy. So it was like one thing moving to something else. And the uh, urban cowboy was, was so big because it affected not only uh, the music, but it affected the clothing wear, uh, the hats, and uh, you know, you know, you name it. it. It was a big industry. It was fun to be a part of something that I was there and I went along with the ride.
1: I love that story. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about how you got into the club business in the first place.
2: Well, I went in the club business uh, out of uh, survival. Uh, I was a struggling musician, just like every musician that you see playing a Holiday Inn Lounge or a lounge in Vegas, Reno, Tire, Atlantic City, whatever. I was just a struggling musician with no name, except for the fact that I had a famous cousin by the name of Jerry Lee Lewis and Reverend Jimmy Swagger. That was it. Nobody knew who in the heck Mickey Gilley was, period. I was struggling at the time, and this gentleman called me over, and he says, you know, I've got this club, and if you'll come be a part of it, I'll give you half of it. I didn't expect to get half of anything, you know, because people (laughs) blow smoke all the time. And so I said, I will do it if you'll give me X amount of dollars per week. And I doubled my salary, which I didn't think he would go along with. I thought he said, you know, forget it, you know. But he didn't. He said, if I do all of these things that you tell me, will you bring the group and join us? And I said, yes. And he says, what would you like to call the club? And I said, you can call it anything you like. It's your club. It was called Shelly's at the time. He said, I want to call it Gillies. And when he said that, I said, I like it. And so he put the name Gillies on it. And uh, we swung the doors open in March of 1971. And the club became successful almost overnight. We were doing great business on the weekends. And then uh, he put, of course, billboards up. And I told him, I said, go to the radio stations and have the program directors. And he said, for what? And I says, buy some time on the radio stations and hire the program directors to come out and party with us here at the club. Uh, he says, what are they going to do? I said, well, they can go up and introduce somebody every now and then. And he said, why don't I need to do that? And I said, because if you buy some radio spots, I said, they'll be telling people they're coming out to the club. And sure enough, uh, it worked. We had advertisement of Gillies. And then he came up with the idea of putting bumper stickers on the bumpers, cars, Gillies. And um, right after that happened, I was offered a, a shot at doing a little TV show locally in, in the uh, market of uh, Pasadena and the Houston area and on channel 39. And, we were the front-runner of the, uh, all the shows on Channel 39. It was Gilly's Place, and it was like uh, the Wilburn Brothers, and it was like all the people had the country music segments uh, on uh, Channel 39, all the acts out of Nashville. And then, of course, you know, I started everything off with Gilly's Place, and people would tune in to watch the show because I didn't know exactly what I was going on, and I was writing, producing, calling the camera shots, and I was green at this. I didn't know what I was doing. I'd sit at home, and I'd watch it, and I said, well, I can't believe I did this, and I can't believe I did that, you know, trying to improve the show. And that's when I uh, happened to do the song, She Called Me Baby, and the, the lady had the jukebox, and Gillies heard me do that. And that changed my life again. That was another change in, in the music from Mickey Gilly. I love that. Uh, you know, it, 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 Porter Wagner, and Dolly was a part of that thing, too, because my first national TV shot was with Porter Wagner when "Roomful of Roses hit. He even got my name wrong on the show. <laughs> he called, called me Mickey Gillum.
1: <laughs> now, when did the... Uh... When did the mechanical bull uh, enter the equation? I
2: think, if, if I'm not mistaken, that Mr. Cryer put the mechanical bull in 1978, I believe. And he put it in the club to entice the people that went to the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo and the Pasadena Rodeo to come to Gillies. And sure enough, it worked. I mean, all the, everybody you know, started coming to the club. And uh, the people working the plants, they came out and tried their ride, You know, uh, getting on the mechanical bull and trying to ride the bull. It was something that uh, you know it, it created a lot of attention, and then Aaron Latham came down to want to know what was going on in this entertainment establishment with a rodeo training device hooked up. It didn't make any sense really at the time, and I was against him putting the bull in. <laughs> but we ended up getting the, uh, the urban cowboy on account of the mechanical bull. That's great.
1: I'm just curious, kind of what the Houston and the surrounding area music scene was like at that time, and if you have any stories or anything that sticks out in your mind when thinking about that well
2: the, the only thing about the Gillies was we were trying to do country music and uh, songs that people could dance to and listen to that was my expertise as far as doing music for the clubs that i worked i always said you know if you can sing the songs that the people hear, hearing on the radio and then come and like to dance to the music you got a chance to be successful and um that was my uh, uh expertise as far as uh trying to do the music as close as I could to my cousin, Jerry Lee. He was so popular at the time, you know, when when he came out with a hit record, we'd fill the club up because they'd come out to hear me do his Jerry's music. So uh, I was very in tune. Even though I wasn't having any success, I did have two records that helped keep me working. Back in uh, uh, 1959 and 60, I recorded a song, the old Warner Mac song called Is It Wrong for Loving You? And the guy playing the bass guitar on the recording session was Kenny Rogers. Wow. And that's a lot of things that people don't realize, too. They from Houston, course, right? Kenny, Kenny.
0: Kenny was from Houston.
2: Kenny Rogers played the bass guitar on that particular recording session, Is It Wrong for Loving You, uh, back in 1959 and 60. That was my first chart record in Houston. I made the charts. All, everything I'd recorded up until that time it didn't even get listened to. But Is It Wrong for Loving You made the charts. And that was in 1959, 60. 1963. I recorded a big band song called lonely wine and it became a good record for me in the Houston market, which kept me working too because people like to listen to the song and they like to dance to it. I didn't have another hit until uh, 74 and it was room full of roses. So I was recording, I did a lot of recording and it never got, uh, you know, played, never got heard.
0: So you're, you're making music. You open a club. There's a mechanical bull. There's a magazine article. There's a movie. There's a worldwide craze. I was reading something about the soundtrack And there was a magazine article written recently about the soundtrack, and the writer said there were only two movie soundtracks in the history of country music that had the kind of impact that sort of changes the trajectory of the genre. One was Oh Brother, Where Art Thou?, which is a more recent movie. Yeah, that was
2: great, too. Yeah, I like that one. <laughs> and
0: they said "Urban Cowboy," of course. But you know what's interesting? And when it, it was huge, you had a few songs on there. You did your famous cover of "Stand by Me" on the soundtrack, as I recall. Right? Was that your idea? Did you? How did that song come about?
2: It came about because they wanted a a glitch dance in the show, and uh, the guy that was uh, working with Paramount picked "Stand by Me" and changed the arrangement on it. And uh, we went into Nashville and uh, worked on it. And uh, his name was Jim Ed Norman, and he also. Uh, I uh, worked also with the Eagles, but at the time, he was producing Ann Murray, so I had a chance to work with him, and after that song came out and became a number one song for me, the record company liked the production so well, they hired him to do my future projects, and I had, I think, uh, eight or nine number one songs with him wow. as a producer, and um, I had 17 number one songs all total in my career. Well, one of them, of course, was a duet with uh, Charlie McLean, Paradise Tonight.
0: And great music, great sort of cultural moment, changed the course of country music, But then there was what some people call a backlash a few years later, where you have some people talk about that phase of country music as sort of softcore country or crossover country, and then you have the rise of people like Randy Travis and Reba McIntyre. Did any of that talk ever bother you, or did you sort of take it in stride?
2: You know what? uh, People ask me all the time about how I feel about how the country music industry has gone, and I tell them all the time, any time you can take an act and they can fill up a football stadium, you applaud them. I mean, that's, they're doing something right. <laughs> I never could do that, but I still don't like uh, some of the music that's out there. But uh, my likes and dislikes is not what uh, keeps the world moving. I, uh, I enjoy the uh, old stuff. That's why I listen to Willie's Roadhouse on uh, Sirius XM because they play the kind of music that I like to listen to. I like to listen to the old time, you know, the Hank Williams and the George Jones and uh, Tom T. Hall and people like that. You know, I enjoy that kind of music. The things that are going on at the present time in the music industry. Uh Johnny Lee and I did the CMA Award show here, uh, what, a month ago, whatever it was. And out of all the people on that show, I knew Charlie Pride, I knew Reba, I knew Johnny, of course. I knew a little bit about Eric Church, and I knew a little bit about Jason Aldean. But the rest of them, I didn't know who they were. <laughs> you know, and there was me and Johnny there. So I'm I'm not because I don't I don't listen to that kind of music. I don't pay attention to what they're playing on the country music stations now. Every now and then I'll turn over to prime country, but uh, most of the time I listen to Willie's Roadhouse because they play the kind of music that I like to listen to.
0: So I noticed my electricity bill was getting out of hand. It was time to do that thing all we Houstonians have to do from time to time. You know what I mean? You have to go through the hassle of switching to a new provider to get a better deal. And then over time, the prices creep up on you again after the contract period ends. And then you have to do the whole thing over again, all over again, sometime later. It's maddening. Thank goodness a friend told me about Real Simple Energy. This is a new company, houston Bay, started by two friendly local young professionals, Trent and Paul. They're both around 40. And what they do is find you the cheapest deals, the cheapest deals for you. They present you three options, one of which will always be green if that's important to you. You pick, and they handle the busy work of getting you switched over. You will save a ton of cash. Most folks save around 500 bucks a year. I actually think I'm going to save a little bit more than that. And the best part, when your contract ends and your prices start sneaking up on you, they get more cheap options in front of you again and do the whole process again and take care of you getting switched over the whole nine yards. Nobody else does what they do. You will never pay for electricity again. Never hassle with providers. Only deal with real simple. Set it and forget it. Never worry about this stuff again and have peace of mind. Don't let the big providers take advantage of you anymore. Sign up and start saving today at realsimpleenergy.com. And if you use promo code CityBook, you'll get an additional 50 bucks off your first bill. Whatever happened to the Gillies Club?
2: It burnt back in uh, 1989, I think it was. It was destroyed, and uh, right now they, uh they they built a school where the property was at. They took it from kind of uh, all the tax problems with it with the property. My business partner never <laughs> he, he was, always got away without uh, paying any taxes when he could. So they ended up taking the property.
1: If someone wanted to see you perform these days, where might they find you?
2: We're doing spring and fall here in Branson, Missouri at my theater that I used to own. It's called the Mickey Gilly Theater. I sold it to a a guy from from China, and he's called it the Mickey Gilly Shanghai Theater now. It's (laughs) on uh, uh, Country Music Boulevard 76. Me and Johnny Lee do one show a week, and then we're doing some road dates. But uh, right now, the entertainment business is down on account of the pandemic. I've did two shows since March. One of them was in Alabama, and one of them was in Seabrook, Texas.
0: Do you mind if we tell people your age, Mr. Gilly? No, no. I'm 84, and why the heck haven't you retired at 84? I mean, that's why, well, why are you still I, going? I thought
2: about it. you know, music happens to be in my blood. I, I still enjoy singing. I had an accident in 2009. I uh, lost my ability to play the keyboard because of the spinal cord injury. It took my hands away from me. Uh, I barely can walk, but uh, I still enjoy going out on the stage. My voice is held up, and I can uh, do the music as close to my recordings as the records because I've got a keyboard player by the name of uh, Lee Hendricks. And he plays as good a piano as anybody I've ever heard. And uh, we try to make the music sound as close as we can to the recordings. And I think that's the reason why I've been successful. I've had uh, a seven-piece band and uh, two girl singers on the stage with me up until uh, about three months ago when I lost one of the girl singers. But other than that, you know, we travel on the bus, uh, pull the trailer, and uh, we carry the music with us. Uh, I use video to show them some of the things I've done in the music industry. And we have a good time doing it. It's... uh, as long as it's fun and as long as my health holds up, I'll continue to do it. My friend Johnny Lee, who we've been working together uh, after uh, been many years apart, the last three or four years we've worked together. Of
0: Looking for Love, right? That was also on Urban yeah, Cowboy. Yeah, Looking
2: for Love, yeah, and the film The Urban Cowboy. He's got great songs, too. Between the two of us together, when we go out and do a show, we got close to 30 number one songs in the country charts that we've recorded. Wow. We still have a good time. My friend Johnny Lee is dealing with Parkinson's. He's having a hard time uh, uh, walking, but his voice has helped up so far. Uh, and my voice has been pretty good as far as singing is concerned. And we try to make the show entertaining and interesting with video and everything and tell them a little bit about our life and music. And it's been
1: fun. Well, they just named a street after you in
2: Pasadena. and with... Absolutely. It's a mile and a half long. <laughs> If you run out of gas, you can probably get the rest of the way on the battery. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it seems to me you, uh, you, you put Pasadena on the map, and now they've put you on the map.
2: Right? Well, I think it's an honor to name the street, you know, uh, and, I, and I appreciate that. I got uh, a street in Faraday after me also, you know. Right. Well, uh, The street I used to live on with my mom, you know. Of
0: course, we pronounce it Jilly Street in Faraday, though, of course, as you know.
2: Uh, Jilly. Jilly.
0: <laughs> How's old Jerry Lee doing?
2: I, I was with him on his birthday uh uh the twenty ninth of September and uh my cousin Reverend Swagger showed up and I uh, got to visit with him for the first time in about uh ooh probably fifteen years. And we had a good time. I, I'm I'm glad that I went and because uh, we're all now Jimmy's the oldest. I'll be uh, eighty five March ninth. Jerry Lee was eighty five uh the twenty ninth of September. And Jimmy's birthday is coming up in March, too, and he'll be uh, 86. The incredible thing about it is think about this. Three of us out of Faraday, Louisiana had success in three different kinds of music. Amazing. If you was writing, writing a, a storyline, let's say, that's, eh, that's got to be you know, a fantasy of somebody thinking like that because it, it won't happen, but it did. Well, it
0: sure did. And Houston is proud that you came this way and, and got into the country music business and opened a famous bar and made history in so many ways. And we are honored, Mr. Gurley, that you uh, spent some time with us today. Thank you very much.
2: Well, I appreciate you. you know, we have a Gurley's in Vegas at uh, Treasure Island. We have two in Oklahoma, McCullough, Oklahoma, and also in Durant, Oklahoma, and one in Dallas. So we've got the brand name still out there. I'm trying to be like uh, Toby Keith. I love this bar. We love Gillies.
0: When was the last time you were on a mechanical bull? <laughs>
2: uh, probably back in the <laughs> probably back in the 80s. <laughs> I'm really not a very good cowboy, I don't think.
0: <laughs> well, you're a great musician and a great sort of role model for Houston, and we're honored to have you today. Thanks again.
2: Thanks for having me on. God bless you. Bye-bye.
0: City Book and Company is a production of City Book Media and Milieu Media Group. This episode was produced, edited, and mixed by Luke Brawner. The music you've heard in this episode was licensed from Blue Dot Sessions. Artwork is designed by Patrick McGee. You'll find links to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter in the show notes. Visit HoustonCityBook.com for the latest news and notes on the most fascinating city in America.